Welcome to 364.15 True Crime. We're bringing you true crime via the Dewey Decimal System. I'm your host, Kat, and I'm here with the only person I choose to be stranded with on an island and co-host, <laughs> Sam. What's up, Sam? What's up, Kat? So the Dewey Decimal System, I'm taking you back to the good old days of the public library with the call number 364.15. Three, social science. Six, social problems. Four, criminology. One, crimes and offenses. Five, offenses against persons. Today's book is Hasten to the Grave by Jack Olson. The cover of the book is black with uh, a box colored orange like the sunset and inside the box is the tarot card for death on the card death is in full armor kind of reminiscent of the 16 or 1700s riding a horse and the horse also has full armor and in the right corner of the card we've got a couple with their child begging for mercy so sam for this case, we do have to go back in time. We need a time travel machine. What is your favorite time travel movie or book? Time Traveler's Wife, hands down. What is, I've never like read that. How, how do <laughs> so they? It's, it's basically this couple, the guy's the one who time travels. So his wife continuously meet different versions of himself so it'll be before they met or after they met it's it it breaks your heart but it's a really good oh it's more like a romance thing like how can you deal with someone who isn't always around but you still care about him because he'll just like disappear and then pop back in but it might be a different version of himself weird Different. Do you think you could love point. every version possible of someone? Uh, I think it depends on the foundation. Like some people, their their variation of change, and if you don't, you don't really like, or you aren't gung ho for that person. I feel like the change is just gonna show the cracks in that relationship. So, mm. I guess it depends. Okay. <laughs> I go straight to hot tub time machine. <laughs> we're gonna get wasted we're gonna grab four loco and we're gonna jump in the hot tub and we're gonna travel to 1000 ad in the punjab region of india we're gonna discuss a culture that has the least accurate history by choice and by design gypsies more appropriately known as the romani for the sake of the elements of the book as they are we're going to use the term gypsy i know that it is offensive but i don't want anyone to go to their library and pick up this book and be taken aback by the fact that the word gypsy is used so much so gypsies have been persecuted all over the world since 1000 a.d by non-gypsies who we will refer to as gaje that's the term they use gaje refers to anyone who does not have gypsy blood in 
1100 AD, gypsies were given the label of charlatans, wizards, and poisoners by a monk in Georgia in Europe. And this left the gypsies completely incapable of having a job because no one trusted them. But they had to survive. They had to eat, feed their families, have somewhere to sleep, all that shit. In the 1300s, in the Balkans, gypsies were enslaved with little to no explanation. They were often accused of thievery. They didn't have a trial. And so to avoid slavery, the gypsies would pretend to be literally from any other culture or religion, and they would adopt aliases. They found work in fortune telling, they would put on dance shows, they would charm snakes. The sentiment toward gypsies was like really dug into the minds of Gage all across Europe. King Henry VI banished gypsies from his lands in the mid-1500s. In Paris, the church vowed to excommunicate anyone who got a palm reading. Gypsies were accused throughout Europe for spreading the bubonic plague. They were able to seek out livings here and there, but it always had to be in the shadows. At one point, there was a Hungarian group that was traveling and they couldn't be found. And instead of continuing to look for the group, there was an obvious explanation why their bodies couldn't be found. They had been eaten by gypsies. But which ones? How many? They, they couldn't figure it out. Who, who ate these Hungarians? So dozens of gypsies were tortured to death. Fast forward, the Hungarians come strolling along like... <laughs> We got so lost. The Hungarians were never dead. <laughs> they got accused of cannibalism for, because people just got lost. Yes. Cool. And once the Americas opened up, gypsies were exiled to America. And shortly after, there was this American gypsy problem. Napoleon himself shipped gypsies to Louisiana with no resources left to fend for themselves. And this is Louisiana, like, raw. Like, this is before it's, the major cities and all that. Exactly. So most oh. of them died by heat exposure. But before all of them could die, they were accused of drinking the blood of babies. What babies? Who knows? The babies! And all of these accusations, they're never refuted. I mean, you've got bubonic plague, charlatans, cannibals, thieves, poisoners, drinking baby blood. These things stayed in the mind of the gaje. No one would... Exactly. Right. No one would sell the gypsies a home, let alone rent them a room. They would not be hired for legitimate work. Even if they had money, people wouldn't let them come shop in their stores. There are many, many suppressed cultures in the world. But the one thing that makes gypsies stands out is their dedication to their culture. They refuse to assimilate. They are loud and proud gypsy through and through. To the point where they fully reject gadget and everything associated with them. 
They closed off their society and chose only to associate with their own. They didn't want to be anything like, like the Gaje. Instilled in the culture is a fear of persecution. Their children were not sent to school and could not associate with Gaje children. Marriages stay within the gypsy community and they would have many, many children. To interact with a Gaje would cause gypsies to be considered unclean and they would be shunned. Ooh. Yes. Okay. Even Adolf Hitler assigned gypsies as undesirables and they were tattooed with the letter Z. They suffered right along all the other persecuted groups during the Nazi era. Now, to go along with that is the thought, you're giving them this label, right? So you're forcing them to take it on. Yeah. You're calling them undesirable. You're calling them thieves. So why not be a thief and be undesirable? Like, why not? That's what you already assume and expect. You're never going to give us the time of day. Otherwise, we can't convince you to to change your mind. So, yeah. They, they, they were selling palm readings and gaining the trust of Gaje to the point where they could swindle you know, someone out of hundreds of thousands of dollars to do a spell and cleanse their home. You know what I mean? And they would have lots of kids and they would stop by someone's house. You know, the wife or her kids would stop by someone's house and say, may I please use your phone? Um, I just, you know... My husband's supposed to be meeting me. He's not here yet. Can I use your phone? And they would go in. She would use the phone, kick up some conversation with the homeowners while the kids ran around the house and stole all the shiny stuff. Mm-hmm. So this is something that um, gypsies, I don't know, own? I guess they own it. Mm-hmm. You know? But it's mostly because what else did you expect us to do? They didn't have any other options. Exactly. And so they would do whatever, run their schemes, pack up shop like you see in the movies with the caravans and dip to another town when when it got hot. I actually kind of uh, feel like that's a dope, kind of a dope way of life. Kind of. It's everything in the... I'm just saying, the whole traveling, imagining all the places that they saw, traveling, not the persecuted part of it, even though there's, unfortunately... You know, I have to say that, I mean, I don't have a whole lot of history in my mind of gypsies, but it was always impressed upon me that they were this way because they wanted to be. That's what that's what I was gonna say. Like they liked not being in one place. Like it was always like we're we're on the move. Yeah, but after reading this book, it kind of seems like they were like that because no one gave them a choice since one thousand 
dog, 1000 AD. So you're talking about how many generations of people that were getting chased out of towns and told you're not wanted, you're not needed. And now they have this history of, all right, we've been here long enough, let's move. Yeah. Okay, we've been here long enough, let's move again. Yeah. It's just constantly, you only have as much stuff as you can carry to the next town. And then that's just being drilled into you, your kids, your parents and grandparents. I can't imagine that. Yeah. For how many generations? You're talking thousand years before, what, to AD? Yeah, it's like, that's, it's crazy. And the fact I think Romani people are still being persecuted in, in parts of... I think uh, that they might always be persecuted. And there's no real good reason. I mean, I guess there's never a good reason to persecute no. people based on their culture. But, like, people go hard on these fucking um, gypsies. And for what? And I'm trying to figure out, like, what was the difference between the Romani people and the, uh, like, basically the European ancestors. Like, what was, like, outside of, like, what made them different as far as gypsies are concerned? I don't know. I think that, so, in the book, it said that they were in Punjab, Punjab in India, but they were the white people of India. Oh. Oh. Yeah, they were the Caucasoid um, folks of India. And I don't know how that caused a problem, but it definitely seems to have caused a problem. So we're going to go to May 1984. Nicholas Buford is 87 years old and gifted his granddaughter half of his property on a grant deed. She was 24. Her name was Angela Siampa. And for some reason, by October 1984, the two went to the courts and corrected the entry to list Angela as his wife. By November, Nicholas was found rotting alive in his room. Jeez. He had a heart attack and he left Angela $350,000 along with this cushy townhouse. In 1986, Lauren Bacall's mother, Helen Mitchell, is 85 years old. She's getting forgetful. And and so Lauren dedicates all of her working hours to tending to her mother, spending time with her. But it's becoming a lot. And Helen refuses to, li- to leave the um, family home. It was custom built for them in the 1920s. So it's been 60 years. She broke her hip, though, and, like, after surgery, she didn't really recover mentally. Um, The only outing that remained in her mind was a visit to the French village deli. 
um, which was a four block walk. So as soon as she was mobile, she would go to the French Village Deli every day for lunch. She had been doing that for 50 years. Could you imagine having these routines for 50 years? How many no. sandwiches could you possibly come up with to keep me coming to you for 50 years? Yeah, I can't imagine going to a place. Imagine going to the general store for 50 years? No, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. Nope. Cancel Christmas. 30 years seems too long. 50? No. 50's no. a lot. <laughs> now, Lauren didn't have the time. Like, she's working and, and she can't tend to her mom all day. So she considered hiring a home health aide. And when she okay. brought the idea up, Helen said, oh, I already found someone. This The waitress at the deli. She's so sweet. She's moving in. Her name is Teresa Buford. It would be in exchange for room and board. So I don't even have to pay her. Okay. So the agreement is you move in, you take care of my mother, and you don't have to pay for rent. Right. For a waitress. Right. Okay. Now, Lauren's skeptical. She asked to meet Teresa. And when Teresa arrives, she's tending to mom, cooking her dinner, cleaning, chit-chatting. They're smiling. They're laughing. It was very, very endearing. And Lauren was relieved to have this task off her hands. And relieved is the right word. Later in the year, though, Lauren was contacted by a lawyer to verify a joint tenancy agreement between her mom and Teresa. The joint tenancy agreement was presented alongside a will that left everything to Teresa. What? That's, yeah. Oh, no. That's <laughs> not right. <laughs> this is a million dollars worth of assets. Lauren was livid. Teresa called her and said like, oh my gosh, I didn't, your mom's so generous. I didn't think she would do this. I have no idea why she would do this. You know, I I'm so thankful. Lauren was like, uh-uh, girl, no. <laughs> you tried She scooped the two of them up went to a lawyer, changed the will, ended the joint tenancy, and Teresa, during the entire process, did not speak a word. Did not even look her in the eye. Oh, and so it, this is some shady stuff. Mm -hmm. But a few months later, Helen did pass away from gastroenteritis. So March 1986, we've got a fella named Constantine Leo Witzkin. He's in his 80s. And he has this condo um, with it has 12 units. Three floors, 12 units. They have those bay windows like where you like the window pokes out and you have like a bench you can sit on in the window. Yeah. And most of the people that live in this apartment building are older because of rent control, you know? So, um, one of the units comes vacant and this woman, Graziana, 
moves in. But she's young. She's in her 30s. And so, um, she, she, you know, they got a kinship. It was like he was her grandpa. And she would go do his groceries for him. And when she would come home from work, his door was always open. And he would call to her and say, hey, come, let's talk, let's chat. She would take him to church on Saturdays. He was part of a Russian veterans club that he went to twice a year. She would bring him. She would bring him every Sunday to visit his wife's grave. She would bring him home sweet pastries. It was just very sweet, sweet. I, I don't know, like an adopted grandpa. It's cute. Yeah, it was like a cute little relationship. Yeah. But in his early 90s, he broke his hip. Seeing a trend. Yeah, he broke his hip and um, when he left the hospital, he was joined by a woman named Mary Steiner and she already had a power of attorney for him. She moved in as his caretaker. She would collect the rent from the apartment. She locked his door. She changed his phone number and made it unlisted canceled all his magazines when people would stop by to see him his friends she would be like oh he's so tired he's resting he's resting he doesn't have the energy he can't right now he can't right now an apartment became vacant in the building and she moved in her four kids which were between like i don't know pre-teens and 20s and it was four boys and one girl. When Graziana did get the chance to go in there because uh, Mary was not home, she found him with rotten food and scraps left to fend for himself. Like they would just put out a bunch of canned goods. They would just open a bunch of canned goods and leave it by his bed and he could feed himself type of thing. Oh, that's ridiculous. Yes. And while she was there, she picked up a canceled check and it was for $25,000 made out to Danny Teeny. And she was like, what is this check for? And he was like, oh, well, I wanted to come home out the hospital. The hospital wouldn't let me out. They helped me get out the hospital so this is what I'm paying them in exchange for getting me out the hospital. He's just going to get a car. What? He bought a gold Corvette. That's ridiculous. So at one point there was a need to take Constantine to the hospital. Um, and you know, they called Graciana and said, yo, he needs to be in a nursing home. Like, he's not clean. Like, he has poo by his armpits. He's not clean. Mm-hmm. And so she went to Mary and said, hey, let's work together. Let's put him somewhere. This, this, and that. And Mary's like, no, I got this. 
She orders a hospital bed to the apartment and just continue to neglect him. If anyone tried to visit, like if they were too aggressive about trying to visit, she would call the cops and tell them lies and try to get them arrested. She would pretend that she was being assaulted. She would pretend that they were belligerent, things like that. So Graciana's like, that's it. All right, I'm calling the authority. She calls the housing authority. The housing authority says, well, you need to call the district attorney. And the district attorney says, well, you need to call the cops. And the cops say, well, this is really a social services issue. It's just no one's problem. They just keep passing it along. Social, nothing gets solved. Yeah. Nothing social services says you need to go to the elder care department. And they said you need to go to the public guardian's office. And they say, well, you can't help unless you can set up a conservatorship, which you can't because you're not related. So we're just going to let this man be neglected because nobody has the right to make an appeal on his behalf? Right. The rent, Graciana's rent increased, but this is a rent-controlled apartment, so you're not allowed to do that. So she's like looking into like... How can you increase my rent? And um, when she looks into it, she finds out that Mary has a joint tenancy agreement with Constantine, which gives her equal rights to the property. Graziana fights against the increase. And shortly after, Constantine was placed in a home and he died a year later on December 9th, 1989. Mary inherited the 12 apartment condo along with his assets amounting to nearly $2 million. And she had Constantine buried in a pauper's grave. What? So she didn't even use any of the money she essentially took from this man to give him a decent burial? Nope. During this time, there's an 82-year-old woman named Hope Beasley, and she used the services of a handyman. He's about 30. His name is Salamanca. Salamanca enjoyed helping the elderly out, you know, from the warmth of his heart. Starting to He would, he would do landscaping, make small repairs, things like that. And a few months after, um, you know, being the handyman, Sal asked to use Hope's garage to park his Corvette. And she was like, all right, fine. <laughs> Wait a minute. This wouldn't happen to be a gold Corvette, would it? It's a Corvette. <laughs> okay. All right. And a few months later, he mentioned to Hope, like, you have five empty bedrooms. Let me rent one of them from you. And Hope is, you know, up in the ages. She doesn't, she says she doesn't remember saying yes, but he moved in. Oh, God. 
And then a few months later, Sal asked Hope to sign a joint tenancy agreement so that he could legitimately claim the house, like, as his mailing address. And he offered her $75,000 to be made in payments in return, and that was for back rent and future rent. And Hope was one of those rich people, like, I want to be more rich mm-hmm. all the time. So she takes the money. So she takes the money. She takes the money like a gun. As soon as the agreement is signed, Salamanca moves out. Three or four years later, Hope starts receiving hang-up calls multiple times per night, interrupting her sleep. Unfortunately, she broke her hip and needed to stay in bed. But once she did, she filed paperwork to have the joint tenancy ended. And a legal battle between her and Sal began. And before the legalities could be straightened out, she died of heart failure in 1992. And he inherits all of her property, I'm guessing. The day after she died... Salamanca changed the locks, preventing the executor of Hope's will from removing her property. A a motion was filed to force Salamanca to let him in, and but by that time the the house was empty. They took everything out of the house. Jesus, moved fast as hell. It's estimated that Sal got $373,000 plus the value of the home. November 1992. Richard Nelson is 93 years old. Though he had a stroke 20 years earlier, he was still quite active, taking himself to his doctor's appointments, doing his own groceries. He would visit with his niece and nephew. He would go hiking to like a fishing spot and he walked a few miles every day. And, you know, during his daily activities, he met a 31-year-old clerk who worked at Nordstrom's named Angie, who quickly became his girlfriend. (laughs) I'm I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. Girlfriend. Angie would bring him his meals and sweets, like cake and cookies. He liked having her around, but it was hard because her car was a piece of trash. It kept breaking down. And she wanted to be there more, but she couldn't because her car was a piece of trash. So he bought her a car. A blue and white BMW. You know, where? When I, I was born in the wrong decade, clearly, because I, I needed to be <laughs> scamming old people out of their property at some point. Like, I, oh, I'm sorry. I just, that was a rant. When Easter came around, Angie drove the two of them to his family's Easter brunch, you know, annual thing, and she met all of his extended family. But when the family saw the car, they were curious if Richard bought it for her, but they didn't want to ask him because that would be tacky. So they go into the car and they find the registration and they're relieved to find that it's registered to Angie and some guy named George. Mm 
So they're like, all right, cool. Like, has nothing to do with Richard. During the event, um, Angie was standoffish. She would cling to Richard's side. She constantly talked about how happy they are. Richard would gush about all the food she would bring him. But Richard's nephew wasn't quite convinced. So he went to the police who said, it's not against the law to be a gold digger. Decided, you know, I'm just going to talk to my uncle, you know, get the scoop. And he, he's like talking about how the two of them met. And he's like, oh, you know, we were at Safeway, the supermarket. And um, she was behind me and she had all, all this bread. She was just like so much bread. And I turned to her and I said, who the heck is going to eat all that bread? And Angie said, Oh, stop being silly. It's for my deli. No. No. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't put the name right here. Hold on. What is it called? And that right, would like all these connecting events coincidentally. Well, these are all different families. Ah, but you would think that, like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I had, like, I know, I, I'm not, I'm pretty sure everyone has older people in their family. But is like no one in touch with these people on such a regular basis that you don't interject when things seem a little fishy? Like, hey, Pop's got a new girlfriend. She's 30-something. What? <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you mean, 30-something? Sir, you can't even change your own drawers. How you got a girlfriend? No. Mm. This isn't cool. I didn't get that. Can you try again? Oh, Please. shut her up. ways at the checkout line and he's walking home and Angie drives past and she's like you want to ride and he's like oh yeah and she drove him straight to his house without having to ask for his address that's suspicious yes <laughs> the, the nephew is on edge Shortly after, Richard added Angie to his bank accounts. Then he opened a few more accounts. And then slowly, Richard was removed from all of the accounts. And all of his money just became hers. And one day while he was getting the newspaper, he took a tumble. And that was it for Angie. She said, honey, oh my goodness. You can't be by yourself after such a fall. That's it. I'm moving in. I'm going to take care of you. Are we sure and she didn't push him? 
You're going under the jail. So when the letter came, George offered to be the co-account holder. And that account turned into four. And over time, Harry's name disappeared from each of the accounts. I will say, these people are very consistent. Yes. In their, the way that they assimilate themselves into these people's lives and then just gradually take over everything. Yes. So, I'm going to go into the MO of this particular gypsy family. This is not speaking for gypsies everywhere. This is speaking about this particular family. Got it. So they would find their marks at their deli. Um, they would just pay attention to people who, older people who came alone and um, insert themselves in their lives in one way or another. They often... So, let me back up. Angie, hold on, let me back up. Angie, Teresa, Angela, they're the same person. I kind of gathered that. Sal and George, same person. <laughs> so... It's said in, in gypsy culture that you have the name your mom gave you, you have mm -hmm. your gypsy name, and then you have the name you use with the gaje. Got it. So, the way these plots were enacted, they would find their mark using the deli. Mm -hmm. Um, George would purposefully bump into them while they're walking on the street to cause them to be hospitalized. Aha. Uh -huh. so, so broken hips and all of that. Yes. On purpose. Yes. And then once they're in the hospital, one of um Angie would move in, you know, she would just show up at the hospital and just start taking care of the guy. But you know, her shirt was a little low cut. She was a little extra attentive, you know what I'm saying? Um, super friendly, super comforting and stuff like that. And then would come home as either a nurse or um, a girlfriend. But the thing with the deli was they were dosing the food. What? Yes. What do you mean dosing the food? They were putting heart medication into the food of these people. So they were using a, it's a prescription heart medication, but it is highly undetectable in toxicology reports. You have to want to look for it. And even if you find it, 
it depends on the person and their weight, height, whatever, to decide what would be toxic and what would not. They called it the magic salt. That's crazy. So, so you mark people, you drug them, you bump into them so that they can get hurt. And then this is just all a ploy to get in their lives, take over their lives, and then... Yes. Ooh. They were even doctoring the food before they were an actual mark. Like, in the deli. Like, I'm making this old man's food. Let me put this medication sprinkled in the food and serve it to this man. And when he's at the point... Because, I mean... If you have too much heart medication, you get, like, woozy. And that causes them to fall easier. Yeah. Let me, you know, dose this guy. And one thing about gypsy culture, they will say, yeah, fine. We are thieves. We, you know, fake palm readings or whatever, whatever. But we are not violent mm -hmm. that's the one thing they're not violent so this couple ended up being oh because george and angela they're married okay <clears throat> they ended up being shunned by the gypsies oh damn yeah now there's the cops right so this book has the perspective of a, a private detective named Faye Farrow? Farron? No, Faye Farron. Mm-hmm. And she's like constantly, constantly going to the cops, telling them about this, telling them about this for years and years and years and years. And so one day, so when it comes to the point where they know for a fact that these elderly people are being poisoned specifically Richard and Harry they have a legal obligation to go tell them like your life is at risk mm -hmm. so there's this whole operation that goes down where um, a whole bunch of departments are watching the house Waiting for Angela to arrive with food or whatever. And they bum rush the place and they go in and they sit him down and they tell him, you know, they put Angela in the, in the cop car and they tell him, oh, she's putting this medication on your food and this and that and you're in danger and you need to like lose contact with her and whatever, whatever. They bring Angela to the police department. They interview her. And they let her go. And she was back at his house. Next day. Because these guys. I mean you gotta imagine. At least for the men. Being in your 90s. You haven't seen a 30 year old tit. <laughs> For a long fucking time. <laughs> okay. 
again. No, do what you was doing before. Yes. So, like, um, because gypsies are so anti-gage, they wouldn't have sex with them. But they would get naked and sleep with, you know, sleep next to them. Then let them touch, slap, slap them nipples around. Oh, my. Whatever the fuck. God, I just. Grab them butt cheeks. So you let these old men fondle you up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One step closer to the money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And oh no matter if people went to these guys and were like, dog, look at this, look at that, look at that, look at the other thing. Number one, they weren't in their right mind because they were being poisoned. Medicated, yeah. And number two, titties. <laughs> oh god I thought you were really going to come up with something else <laughs> no <laughs> titties listen, listen. at the end of the day the majority of them were just being men and yeah. men were like I, I, you can't beat this I don't care what you want yeah. I'll, sign it. I'll sign the paperwork yeah. keep walking around like, the house without I do not appreciate the visual of a dick. Right? <laughs> Enough to sign away your life savings. <laughs> but maybe when I'm 90. You'll appreciate it. And there's a. Because like right now we're looking at dicks our same age. Right? Yes. But maybe when I'm 90 and I see a supple 30 year old dick. I'll be like, oh, that's nice. Yeah, I know the last time I saw one of those. Jesus. (laughs) 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 Have it a flat. Oh Lord, those were the eight. (laughs) I know. I know what to do with that. (laughs) (laughs) No. Oh man, if I if I hit that age, just medicate my ass. Put me, put me in the home. No, say nothing crazy. Put me in that home, please. Oh, I know the CNAs are gonna be tired of me if I'm talking like that. They're gonna be like, oh god, here she goes. But um, so the fucked up thing with the cops is the cops have been on this case for years, like. From the very beginning. But. um, Attempted murder. Of an old person. Might get a few years. And we're talking California. Right? Mm-hmm. Murder by poisoning. In order to steal money. Will get the death penalty. Ooh. So the cops are are actually waiting for Harry or Richard to die from poisoning so they can get the death penalty and they're even though they warn them and these men they're tittyfied like they're like titties they're, they're all set on what they got yeah they don't the police 
would rather have them be murdered to get the death penalty on these two than put these two away for a few years and let these guys live out their last that's, days. I think that's the first time I've ever heard of cops being like, well, we gotta wait till they die. Hello? <laughs> what? You could save them, but you, you're you like, ah, but I want them to go to jail for a really long time, so let them back. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to this once they're dead. And the the police investigation went was like 10 years. And I don't love the culmination of the book because it just says, oh, Angie looked real good in orange. What does that mean? Was she in jail? That's a crazy Was she convicted? Just randomly put in the book. And she has she looks good in orange. so many memes. I can't find it on the internet. Oh, God. Because what, what, what would they have booked her under? Exactly. Oh, jeez. Exactly. Oh, my days. This... So, was she the only one prosecuted? Did anyone else? Well, see, here's the thing. Is that people do scams like this. Mm-hmm. But they don't murder. So, like, her mom, Mary with the landlord she just neglected him until he died which is so horrible she yeah it was terrible but she didn't necessarily do anything to try to speed up the process of him dying exactly but these two were actively poisoning people to get their money faster wild yes <laughs> and um so that's what separated them because gypsies say they don't do violence they don't do violence they don't do murder uh, they don't do is, they don't do none of that is poison is giving someone heart medication really violent they don't do murder because the heart medication leads to death. So that's murder. Yeah, okay. Being tactical, then yes, it leads to murder. But was it necessarily violent? Because they could have went peacefully. They could have went peacefully, but instead they lost their minds. Yeah. Not, not to say that anything is right. I'm just saying... Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm just wondering what your angle is here, dude. I don't know. That, I, this whole thing, like, I don't understand why anybody from any of their families, into, like, I know you said, mentioned that a few people, like, intervene and try to be, okay, we're going to get them into home and they try pick to get people them. who don't have families. And that's, yeah, I can see why, because there's no one to really stop them from pushing their way in and taking mm-hmm. over. There's a lot more victims. Um, I chose these because they're the most talked about in the book, but the book covers multiple, multiple 
other victims. And it's focused on the work of a private detective named Faye Farron. Um, there's also fraud detectives and they, there's a lot of interviews with the loved ones of the victims. So there's a lot more to this book than I presented here. So please read the book um, if you're interested. Um, I, yeah. All right. Well, I do have one question. Question me. Um, I know you mentioned that the mother didn't necessarily cause death do does the book mention how much each family member got as far as time or does no. it mention that all three of them went to jail no or is it just that she, she like, looked good in orange literally literally oh the last yo i'm pulling up right now the no. last sentence of the book says and she looks so good in orange who is she? Yeah, so that Why is she wearing orange? There's, there's so many moving parts and people in this, and it's like there's no real ending. Like, no. Did she get like, like? <laughs> I guess I just really. I can't know. wrap this up for you. I can't. Yeah. How, oh, I can't. Driving me nuts because it's like I want closure. I need to know. They're punished for this, and it doesn't sound like anyone really knows. Who I don't know. Maybe she punished. did a fashion show wearing orange. Who the fuck knows? That's crazy. But this was also in the eighties, the early yeah eighties, early nineties, yeah. So it's like at that point, like we really did all that other stuff so you really like unless you knew these people you there's no way you would have been able to connect the dots that fast early 90s i mean i think the private eye (laughs) did a really good job that's why i would suggest reading the book i didn't really do it justice but um the private eye really did a lot of work she literally did all the work for the police department and the police department was just waiting for someone to actually die so they could get the death penalty which is disgusting yeah that's that whole line of thought just makes me like I don't understand could have done so much to prevent people from dying, but you're just like, well, just wait, wait till one of them croaks, and then we'll be able to push the pay for it. Yeah. And what if they never die? What if they die? What you deem natural causes, and then what? Then what are you gonna do? Wait for the next one? Basically. Just watch them until they fuck up. I guess I don't. I don't, I don't understand what's the cops. We have a problem with cops on this show. We don't. It's just we have a problem with... No, I mean, all of our stories, the cops are kind of trash. It's just we have a problem with bad police work. That is the issue. Okay. It's not cops. It's bad, what we deem as bad police cops, which granted, neither one of us are cops. We can't say exactly what their process should have been, but certain like common sense is common sense. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. It, it, 
shoddy police work is what aggravates us. And it just seems like there are more and more stories that there's more victims or something happens. And it's like, this could have been prevented. But it wasn't. It's a shoddy police work. All right. Yes, agreed. Um, today, we're highlighting an event at the West Oaks Branch and Genealogy Center in Osioe, Florida, and I'm going to spell that, O-C-O-E-E, and the event is called Bad Art Afternoon. It's taking place on January 21st, 2024, from 2 to 3 p.m. in the Sarchik Community Room. All right, description. Who says art has to be good to be fun? Let loose, get creative, and make some terrible art. Choose from a wide selection of crafts to create a truly awful masterpiece. Recommended for adults. Registration required. Hold on, Sam. Imagine being in this class and you're like drawing a pretty flower and the instructor comes around and is like, No! It's supposed to be ugly! Did you not read the description to this to this event? Make it ugly. <laughs> Make it awful. <laughs> no wonder it's an adult event. You yeah. cannot do that to little kids. Just roll up on them and be like, it's not ugly enough. <laughs> Breaking his heart so. Oh, <laughs> mm. Head down to your local public library, enjoy a free event, and hit the stacks on your way out. Bye, Sam. Bye, Kat. Peace.